Um, brilliant. So um, I'm just going to move on and talk about, you know, what the investigations are. And obviously um, with, as I mentioned before, the investigations and the management, the assessment can be all put into the A to E assessment, but just for the purposes of the knowledge video, let's talk through them sort of separately. And I think that just helps to make things a bit clearer. So in terms of investigations, obviously the first thing you'd want to do uh, in this particular scenario is make sure you've got wide bore cannula access, um, preferably two wide bore cannulae in both arms. Uh, sorry, one on each arm, <laughs> just to be clear. Um, and you'd, with that, you'd want to send off some bloods as well. So uh, things you might want to think about sending off, you obviously want your baseline sort of blood test. So you want your full blood count, uh, using ease, uh, LFTs, um, a coag screen, just um, to check for synthetic liver function. But equally important, you want to send off a cross match and a, and a group and save as well, because they may need a uh, transfusion. Um, I think the other thing, maybe some, something as a side point to mention as well, if they've not got any known sort of liver disease, it might be worth sending off a, a liver panel, so liver screen, uh, and just screens for sort of viral, um, hepatic viral illnesses uh, and other things like that, if, if they don't already have, you know, are not already known to have these diseases. Um, so important to send off the bloods, uh, important to get IV access, uh, important to, uh, in some scenarios sort of get a, getting a chest x-ray you know if there is any you know suggestion of aspiration or just to rule out something like a perforation looking for air under the diaphragm um, but i think that probably probably a bit lower down the list i think definitively with with an upper gi bleed you you most definitely want to get an upper gi endoscopy not just for investigations but you know for management as well um is, is there you know, I think one other thing you maybe might mention is a, is a venous blood gas, uh, which I mentioned before, just to check for their uh, pH. And you can check their lactates and electrolytes quite quickly as a point of care test as well, which which might be helpful. Is there, is there anything else here, Mike? No, I think that the thing I was going to add was a gas because you'll look at uh, their perfusion with the lactates. Uh, you'll also get lots of, as you say, you'll get a hemoglobin. It's not always completely accurate, but actually most of the time it is. And it will give you an idea because if the hemoglobin on there is 42, then uh, you have, you're have you not going to wait for a cross match and you're going to put out a major hemorrhage call. And, uh, and if they're actively bleeding um, and get some urgent O negative blood into them. Um, so I think that's good. I think if they're um, the other thing to think about investigations wise be an ECG um both for non-varicial and varicial um just to check that there's no uh evidence of cardiac ischemia because you can get type 2 mis if there's uh, if you've got profound anemia um so that's a good thing to kind of a basic thing to do um which be which would be there but yeah no, otherwise I agreed with the kind of first management uh first kind of investigations and then do you want to go through management then because that leads nicely onto that yeah yeah um so yeah so i mentioned before i think some of the sort of higher level sort of points that you might get from, from an upper GI bleed, you know, station and with actually most IMT stations is, you know, in more often than not patients in the scenarios will be genuinely unwell because they want to see how you can manage them. So, so it's always worth mentioning, you know, you would consider, you know, what their resource status is, um, what their ceiling of care is. Um, you would consider, so obviously early escalation to, to senior because they will almost certainly be unwell. And obviously consider major consider the major hemorrhage protocol as, as Mike mentioned earlier, you know, if, if they are actively 
you know, bleeding and especially if they're hemodynamically stable, if they've got a low HP on their gas, you know, all of these things point towards putting out an early uh, major hemorrhage protocol, uh, sorry, major hemorrhage uh, call. Um, and it just shows that you're, you know, you preempt things and you're a safe doctor. And it, but those higher level marks as well show that you're maybe acting up a little bit from, from you know, the IMT level, you know, considering whether they're, they'd be for escalation uh, to whether they might need level two or level three care. So uh, I'm just going to maybe split the management into variceal versus non-variceal bleed, if that makes sense, just because I think that the, the um, management does differ a little bit. There are some, there are a lot of crossovers, but I think there are some sort of fine differences. So I'll start with the non-variceal bleed. So um, ensuring you've got good IV access, uh, white bore cannula in both arms, we mentioned that before. Um, making sure they're adequately sort of filled in terms of fluid resuscitation. Uh, and that's just to help, you know, prop up their BP whilst we, you know, try to get, get down and treat the underlying cause. So definitely IV fluid resuscitation. Uh, you know, thinking about reversal of any anticoagulation uh, if necessary. Um, and, uh, you know, making sure you, you know, you hold any sort of unnecessary antiplatelets or, or anticoagulation um, you would want a transfusion um, if appropriate, following the, either following the major pro hemorrhage protocol or, or following your trust guidance. I think broadly speaking, it's usually aimed for HB of greater than 70. Um, but I think the caveat is sometimes with ischemic heart disease patients, you, you know, you might want to aim for 80. And I think that was, you know, related to what Mike was saying earlier about, you know, type two MIs because they can be, you know, predisposed uh, to that. Um, <clears throat> otherwise, if they're hemodynamically unstable, you would want to get that endoscopy, you know, sooner rather than later. And, and that means, you know, picking up the phone and, and calling the endoscopist on, uh, on call uh, to see if you can get that endoscopy done if they're, if they're unstable. Um, with non-variceal bleeds as well, uh, I think, you know, you can use IV PPI with the Hong Kong, you know, following the Hong Kong protocol. But I'll, I'll let Mike talk a little bit about that in, in, in just a second. Um, is there any, I mean, I think actually most of these things actually apply to both variceal and non-variceal. Is, is there anything else that you would add to that? No, I, th I don't think so. I think the only thing I would say is um, if they if their presenting complaint is hematemesis, uh, then you need to think about early discussions with intensive care, um, big or the anaesthetic team on call, whoever, whatever the provision is at your local trust, because uh, there's going to be concerns when we sedate them for the procedure which they will need to have that when we put a camera down into their stomach, they're going to aspirate that blood that's in there. So. Um, you need them obviously fasted, but even with that, you need some. You're probably going to need some a definitive airway protection. That we you, you and certainly out of hours, these are nearly always done uh, under general anaesthetic, so that, that everything is controlled as tight as possible. So I think that's another thing to add. And then yeah, I mean PPI wise, there's uh, for a non-variceal bleed, then absolutely you know you, they can have you know IV PPI I wouldn't start an infusion I'd just give a bolus before they've had a um, an endoscopy um, if they've had lots of vomiting you can think about a prokinetic as well to help clear the stomach so metoclopramide or erythromycin um, would be useful uh, and then in variceal bleed you know you, you don't definitely know it's a variceal bleed until you're down there so there is a decent chance that they might that you know 
cirrhotic patients get ulcers as well uh, and they get gastritis and they get duodenitis so the, you know they are at risk of, of other those pathologies as well so there's no real harm in giving it uh, giving some ppi in that instance and most patients do get that um if you are suspicious of a variceal bleed then the additional management is that you need turnipressin so it's a splenic vasoconstrictor which reduces your portal pressures um, but you have to be careful about that because of its um, vasoconstrictive properties. It can lead to uh, myocardial ischemia, which is another reason to do the ECG. Um, and if there is any on there, then it's contraindicated. Um, or if they've got a heavy ischemic heart disease history, then you need to be very careful about using it. Um, but it can also cause peripheral uh, ischemia in digits particularly. So you have to be careful about using it too long. Um, and then these patients are at very high risk of developing sepsis if it is a variceal bleed and you get a lot of bacterial translocation from the gut into the bloodstream. Uh, so they would always, so if it's a variceal bleed, then they need broad spectrum antibiotics, whatever the local protocol is, whether that's tazacin or amoxiclav, whatever it may be. Um, and then the last thing I think is management wise, if it was, you talked about kind of anti, anti, anti coagulants. So if there are morphins, it needs to be reversed. Um, and you can discuss with the hematology team about how to do that. The quickest way is often something like Beriplex or um, or FFP. Um, and uh, and if they're on, uh, you know, some of the newer DOACs, then there are newer agents like a Dexan Alpha that can be used to reverse the effects of that. But again, that needs hematology approval. So I think you know you need to just briefly mention that as well. Yeah. Um... And I think probably might not come to this, but obviously, you know, I, we are aware of, you know, the things taken black more, take more tube. And, I, you know, that I don't, as far as I'm aware, that's not done as routinely as it, as it maybe used to be. Um, is, that, is that something you want to comment on? So I think uh, so. It's a second black more tube is a time saving measure, essentially. Um, you can only leave it for 24 hours ideally uh, less than that um and it should only ever be put in when there's a definitive airway protection in i.e they're intubated and it should be put in by someone that knows how to put one in so you can use it as a rescue therapy absolutely but they need to be chewed and it should be put in by a senior uh, the registrar or consultant really um and you can but absolutely if you're suspicious of a varicose bleed and you just cannot get them stabilized and they're still vomiting loads or you're losing lots of blood then yeah you can use that and and do that and that can be taken then you know, help to secure the patient, help to stabilize the patient and get them to, uh, to endoscopy. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, I just wanted to maybe briefly touch on for a minute, uh, outpatient management, just cause it can be one of the sort of follow-up questions, you know, from, from the scenario. Um, so some of the things to think about, uh, from this point of view, obviously thinking about, uh, alcohol cessation, um, if they are, uh, if they've got, you know, alcohol excess, so you know, referring them to to the right sort of services, um, uh, considering a beta blocker for, for prophylaxis if they are variceal bleed. Obviously, this is usually done under the direction of the gastroenterologist who's, who's done the scope, um, uh, as well as think, you know if they've got H pylori, you know H pylori eradication therapy as well. It's important again, usually at the discretion of, of the endoscopist. Um, and they will usually tell you what, what to do from, from that point of view. Um, uh, anything else here from outpatient? 
No, I mean, I think the, the one thing to say is we haven't really touched on it, but um, when you're assessing them, you can talk about scoring systems for severity. So things like Glasgow Battery yeah. score is useful. Um, and the reason I say that now is that actually if their GBS score is one or less, then actually they may be a candidate for outpatient management of their possible GI bleed. So, so that's one of the things you can talk about when you're investigating managing patients and it can, as I say, change management because they can be managed as an outpatient. Obviously, you're not going to do that for severity or bleed, but uh, if it's felt to be a low risk, non-breastfield then absolutely it's a, it's a it's a option okay um any sort of concluding sort of important points uh takeaway messages no i think you've covered it very well i think the key as you said at the beginning is about this is is being from if you're doing it in a in 90 interview scenario then it's about being really direct and it's good practice for real life as well as say you know it's being clear that this is a medical emergency you need to manage that as so so assess them early on a to e and go and look for signs of shock liver disease because that's then you decide which path you're going down in terms of in managing a, a medical varicella or non-varicella bleed and it, you know you're not expected to deal with this on your own these people are sick and it's about escalating to your seniors to itu if required um, to hematology if required and most importantly as you say to the um out of hours or in hours uh, endoscopists who can provide a definitive treatment for it that's brilliant thank you very much thanks justin